This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Howard Jones on the stereo. So next time you're in the Chicago area and you want to play those classic games, head over to the Underground Retrocade, because they'd like to get to know you well. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, a weekly podcast about arcade games that you like to play and some that you don't. Weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. It is so early on Saturday morning, I can't believe I'm even awake at this hour. It should be illegal. We are recording quite early. Earlier for you, because you're not in Carrington time. Well, early in the morning, but later in the week than we usually do. We're several days behind, I guess, when we normally record. A couple, couple days. Uh, yeah, and that's one. It's, it's scheduling things, and, and part of that is because I've been I'm going to IFPA 11. You're making that up. There's no <laughs> word that's IFPA. <laughs> well, it's not actually a word. It's the International Flipper Pinball Association 11. <laughs> Flipper Pinball. Um, yes, the, now, I have a question. Do okay. you have to wear like a dolphin or a penguin costume to play? Because of the flippers? Because the flippers, you have to play, how, how big are your flippers allowed to be when you play this version of pinball? Because this really appeals to me, this sounds fun. I don't know about actual flippers, but there are a lot of guys with the, uh, the, the fingerless weightlifting gloves. Oh, right. Well, that's how you know that these guys are the, the like, the... Are total douchebags? Well, well, maybe, but that's how you know that they're, like, the, the best of the best, because uh, those are the guys who actually, <laughs> it's weird, those are the guys who wear them. I'm actually having a really great time. They, the festivities kicked off, I, actually on Thursday night, but... I don't think very many people were there. It really kind of picked up last night, and it's going to continue through today, and they're going to award um, they're going to award the awards tomorrow. Nice. That's a good thing to do with awards. Right. And this, by the time you listeners hear this, it'll all be over. But uh, it's sort of strange because, like, if I walked into, like, King of Kong, I sort of know who the stars, if you want to call them that, are. Um, Billy and Walter and people like that. Me. And, and Hank and Carrington. And, <laughs> Carrington's the one that's, please let me in. Go away, Carrington. <laughs> I'm the one at the window. <laughs> and uh, But I walk into this place, and I don't really know anyone. They had the uh, score sheets, like the high scores sort of projected on a big wall, but it was Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that was just kind of pumped through a, a projector rather than rather than an actual scoreboard. But then that was fine. And I, I remember a while back I watched uh, some pinball documentary, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of that one. Uh, but I recognize some of the names. There's Bob Matthews and a guy named Lyman something. And then I saw them walking around with their name tags on. I'm like, oh, I sort of remember you from the, that movie. Or I took a bunch of pictures and video, and I'll have that up soon. But I, I started playing the games myself and, and uh, had a great time. And I don't know that I need to go back all day today. Uh, I'll probably go back tomorrow for the, for the closing ceremonies. And, but it's, it's fun. I'm having a good time. And, and it surprised me because it's pinball, and we don't like pinball here on No Quarter. I'm still up in the air. I'm still in Oh, about listen to you. Now you're like, oh, I don't, like, oh, I don't oh, play no. pinball. So if I don't play a thing, I'm going to assume I don't like it. Because <laughs> otherwise, I probably would have sought it out and played it. I remember not being a fan. And back in the day, you'd go into an arcade game that'd be pinball on the one side, arcade games on the other. It was the Jets and the Sharks, baby, and you knew your side. <laughs> and I was absolutely an arcade guy. What's really made me consider pinball as an option for old Carrington is uh, <laughs> what Quinn wrote us once about how modern pinball games are really a, a deep game and the, oh, yeah. the elements they'd have in it 
kind of appealed to me because older pinball games, it just seemed like I was at an arcade game. I wanted some blobs and pixels or maybe vector things. I didn't want real life. I didn't want actual (laughs) balls moving around. So I don't know. The older I get, the more it seems to appeal to me, partly in an old-timey way and partly in the fact that maybe it's a deeper game. But I really don't have any pinball experience, which is why I'm announcing my new pinball podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, shall we get to the feedback? Oh, please. Okay. Uh, we get a bunch. Like, it's crazy how some weeks we get very few and some weeks we get a deluge. So uh, speaking of events, so, so you're at, and going back to IFPA, I'm still dubious that that's a real thing. (laughs) So there's also the Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show coming up. And I have a non-pinball link to contribute that was sent to us by Egan Ford. He just sent the link. I guess if you figured the link would speak for itself, there's nothing else here. But it does (laughs) because it's about a documentary coming up called Gameplay, colon, the story of the video game revolution. And it's going to be screened at the Northwest Pinball Arcade Show. So we'll have a link to the sort of the released about that and to get you interested in the film it says from pong to pac-man and super mario to laura croft doom grand theft auto and beyond announcing the brand new feature documentary about the history of video games entitled gameplay the story of video game revolution now my concern is pong and pac-man seem to be the only actual arcade games there and it might, <laughs> i don't know how much of this is going to be like in our world and how much of this is going to be like nes and then modern things and then whatever the kids are doing today cables in the back of their head or something i don't know but at least i like the first part it is interesting that you mentioned our world and their world, you know, pinball and arcade, because Ken it's Scott, old. yeah, and, and the kind of the divide between the two. Ken Scott writes, uh, I had posted that I was going to IFPA in our Facebook group. Ken Scott writes, uh, Mike's going over to the dark side. Just kidding. Although it would be cool if you could cover some video pinball hybrids like Baby Pac-Man, Granny, and the Gators, Super Flipper, and Caveman. I presume they wouldn't be memeable. Well, no, they probably wouldn't. That, that's the issue. Like, I'd love to do. We should eventually do a show about those, like like Baby Pac-Man or whatever. Absolutely. But I, I actually, I don't. I'm not entirely sure that's true because I, I know that everything I see is true. Well, I mean, of course it is. You disparage There's, me, sir. <laughs> I love disparaging Carrington. <laughs> that's easy to say. Disparaging. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, there's, there's a pinball emulator. It's called a, a visual pinball. I think actually, I think the way it works is they take the 3d AutoCAD table designs and use that to, to emulate the tables themselves. And, and I'm pretty sure that there are some of those video pinball hybrids in, in V pin MAME or visual pinball, whatever it is. I, I, I downloaded it once and it's kind of like mess. It's sort of difficult to, to set up and get running. Uh, but it is it out there at IFPA, not to harp on this too much, but at, at IFPA, they did have the Phantom Menace one that Williams put out and eventually destroyed the pin, their pinball division. As anything to do with the Phantom Menace. <laughs> and besides, I think that video pinball, there was David's Midnight Magic, and it's been downhill since then. So there, <laughs> yeah. that's how old school yeah. I am. <laughs> I think we should go the other way. You know how, like, there's... Okay, so you're right. There's the pinball emulators, and you can have even full tables now that are just a big video screen, and you're playing an actual pinball machine, but it's simply a video thing, and you can sort of load up whatever game you want to play. I think David's Midnight Magic should be ported to one of those. I want to play, like, old-school Apple II video pinball on an actual video machine. Make it happen, Mike. Um, I'm on it. Okay, so more feedback. We got other people sending us links to things, which are pretty cool. Oh, Michael. Michael sent us a great one. Michael Mulhern. He says, want to bring some color? He spells color correctly, too. Well done, Michael. I salute you. God, that's the queen. Um, (laughs) Some color and excitement into the house. But want to be a tad different from the folks next door? Here's some inspiration. So over at OzRetroGamer.com, there's a great... I mean, it's just... A fantastic thing. It's called Retro Gaming, colon, lots of colons I don't like to say, home <laughs> decorating. You can have things like there's blackout shades that have Pac-Man or the Space Invaders machine on it, but made of out of uh, home console controllers. Giant oh, NES coffee tables and tables made out of the ghosts from Pac-Man and sticky things you can stick on your wall to turn an entire wall into an Asteroids game or couch covers that make it look like a a video game controller and just tons of different stuff. And so if you're interested in games in general and just want to add a little little home decorating spice to it, there might be at least some ideas here. So Hmm. I thought it was pretty fantastic. Nice Nice. thing. 
Yen wrote in, Yanlon Thompson, also a friend of the show. Lots of people wrote in this week that wrote in, have written in before. I think we maybe we put out a pity call for, for feedback or something. <laughs> I don't know. He says, in your recent campaign against the entire city of Sheffield, you failed to take uh. into account that Gremlin Graphics was based there. They brought the world such fine games as Deflector, Lotus Esprit Turbo Challenge 1 and 2 and 3, Supercars 1 and 2, Thing on a Spring, I don't know that one, but I like it, and Wanted, colon, Monty Mole. And let's not forget that Ben Daglish, Daglish, I guess, grew up in Sheffield, became Gremlin's in-house musician, and composed some some of the amazing music for the C64. Yeah, that's going to impress me. <laughs> or maybe you just, quote, unquote, forgot to mention Gremlin, since they didn't develop games for your beloved Apple II. On a more serious note, I'm currently recovering from a concussion. Oh, poor Yen. And it's good to be able to listen to people talk about old arcade games now that I'm not allowed to play them for a while. I do recall giving Volfi to go back in the day and never really liked it that much. You re- redeemed yourself with Volfi <laughs> because he's on, the, he's on the side that we are. Not a good game. I don't care what everybody else says. Robert Rafferty wrote in. Uh, he said, you guys talk about your X-Arcade joysticks every now and then and seem to really like them. Well, I do, Robert. He says, I got a working duo for $5. $5, wow. When picking up arcade machines. That is I didn't so cheap. know what it was for. So, yeah, that's those things sell for like 100 or more dollars. So yeah. Good on you, sir. And and Carrington, you don't like them very much. And there are some I, the things thing on, is, on I keep mine saying that. that, and yet here I am a year <laughs> later. I still haven't given it back to my friend, and I still keep using it. So I can say what I want, but clearly it's filling the need. There are a couple of things about mine that I wish were different. You know, the the joystick, I guess, so the, the the spring back action, if that's the word, is is really heavy on those. You kind of have to push to get that click over, and and that's nice at first. It's or it's nice if you're playing a fighter and and you're kind of banging it around. But it's can be can it can lead to you know fatigue and your hands get tired. I think faster than if it if it were a stick with a lighter touch. Fortunately. Uh, the XRK is easy to to swap out. You know, if you if you want to go buy a joystick pack from uh, Sanwa Pack or something like that and swap mm-hmm. it out, and it's it's fairly simple to do. If you're gonna get one of those, I, I do like the tank stick. I know it's big and it's heavy, but at least it's got the trackball in it, which is a nice yeah. element to have. So I wish it had a spinner and a Tron type joystick as well, or maybe a couple of those. They used to make that the standalone trackball, and I have one, and you can. Pick them up on, on eBay every now and then for a little bit less than what they retailed for, which I think was $80. But they, they do now make a trackball add-on. It's, it's, meant, to be, it's meant to be mounted in, in a cabinet, but I think you could probably use that to um, mount in your own or just, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you find a way to anchor it to something uh, a little bit larger, it would work just, just fine. Just hold it and think cabinet thoughts. Yes. And of course, if you really want to cheat and don't I want, do really want to cheat. <laughs> yes. And, and don't want to, to, to go with the arcade stuff, you can buy a trackball like a Kensington trackball that's made for a PC. And it, those actually work really well for, for games that require trackballs. Another way to go, if you don't have the, if you don't want to wire up something yourself, like you're, you're I, I've, talked in many episodes about how it's very easy to clip these things together it's not soldering it's not rocket science you're literally just clipping a wire to one side clipping a wire to the other follow the instructions really really straightforward you get a thing that just adapts basically the buttons and the joystick over to usb and you're good to go so it's nice and simple but if you don't want to do that you could always just get an arcade cabinets controller and then just stick in front of your computer and run a lot of let's play videos and it'd be like the same thing like little kids do where they think the joystick is doing stuff and you just press <laughs> the buttons. I think you're like 90% of the way there if you, if you just do that. So, Monty. Monty wrote in to say, love the show. To continue on one of the greatest games of all time, Ghosts and Goblins. Stop right there. Stop reading. We're done. Move on. <laughs> I like Ghosts and Goblins. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean you're not wrong about that again. He says you must hit the fire button at the wrong, same time wrong, as player one wrong. button. <laughs> yes, the UMA continuing hard. I, I want to bring it up because I still like that game. I think we should we should talk about it again. It should be the first game that no. we, we do twice. Mm. No. <laughs> no. Ghosts and goblins and ghosts and goblins. I think we need to have a reunion of all the games that, that either you or I hated. We'll start with like Bubbles and we'll go to that one and maybe Elevator Action and Buck oh, Rogers. And okay, Buck Rogers. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you got me back on Buck Rogers. Anyway, let's go to Mike. Mike, another Mike. Mike Pettengill this time wrote in to say, Hey, Mike. Great name, by the way. And Carrington, dot, dot, dot. 
Mike, you're killing me. <laughs> I wanted to ask if either of you ran across any Easter eggs or hidden elements in the Marble Madness research that you did for the show. I'll give you a hint, Mike. No. And to continue, I have always loved slash sucked at Marble Madness, and I never knew it was such a short game since the early levels ate my quarters so quickly. Since I never progressed much, I never got to try this, but I always thought that the number pads on the upper platform of the first level were jump zones to later levels. They looked really hard to get to, so I assumed they were for expert players to use to skip ahead not so thanks always for the great show you know what i don't think they are i, th- I thought he was right oh is he <laughs> yes i never even tried why would you want to jump ahead the game so short it takes like five minutes to play he says as if he can do it <laughs> well i remember that i remember reading something about being able to jump ahead levels well this is news to me like i know you can jump things like you can literally your ball sometimes jumps off a ramp but i did not know that those were jump zones to the all of three later levels that exist in this game. I mean, when you have a game with only, what, six levels, yeah. why the heck do you want to warp ahead? Well, probably the expert players who, you know, don't want to have to play through the... Get your quarter's worth, baby. It's going to take a few minutes. There's so many <laughs> three- and four-minute playthroughs of Marble Madness Online where someone plays the entire game in three and a half minutes. What do you need a jump zone for? Um, I don't know. Mike, answer my question, Mike. <laughs> well, we'll have to have Mark on and ask him. He designed it. <laughs> I think Marble Madness and all trackball games, maybe not all trackball games, but some trackball games, I'm going to say Marble Madness. The trackball should be clear. It should be filled with water, and it should have one of those magic eight ball things inside it. Uh And then when when you stop playing the game, it would float to the top and tell you whether or not you had a good game or you get like, that's how you get a a free game. Nice game. Try again. Something like that. That would be awesome. Make that happen, too. I'm on it. (laughs) I would hope so. Be done by the end of the show. I want to play it. (laughs) I got an email, speaking of Marble Madness, from, Aww. and I don't have it in People front of wrote me, to so you. I, I probably, nobody actually wrote to me. That's so cute. <laughs> uh, I got a, an, an email from someone who was talking, we were talking about Marble Madness 2, and he was asking about where the ROMs were for Marble Man. I did some research, and it turns out that there are f- like there are like four or five, I guess, prototypes out there. They're working. They have all 17 levels, and the game, I guess, is either complete or mostly complete. And there's this a huge problem where the people who have these will not release the ROMs. And I don't know if it's because of agreements that they made, but people got mad and yelled at them. And that made them even less willing to release the ROMs. It's this whole big unfortunate situation. There's a, I've got a segue for that. It's awesome. Kurt wrote us an email. I feel very professional with my segue here, even <laughs> though I'm bringing it up. I'm pointing it out. That might be slightly less professional. You wrote, guys, thought you all might get a kick out of these picks. Marble Man is about halfway down the page. And he sent us a link to a Flickr group called Warehouse, or a Flickr photo set called Warehouse Raid. And the top bit was a little less interesting. It's got a bunch of video cassettes and a Beavis and Butthead arcade game. But he's right. You go down partway through, you get to Cyberstorm and Fission Frenzy. Don't see those much. And then... A Marble Madness, or Marble Man cabinet with a California Extreme sticker on it saying for sale. Like, I don't know, is this, was this the one that, like, remember there were a couple that were made and tested, so I guess it's one of those? That's super, super rare. It's neat to see it. These games, I guess, show up every now and then at, at places like California Extreme and things. So so it's not, I mean, you... Because it's extreme. Well, you would have to, you have to travel, I guess, and, and plan to, to get your hands on, on one to play, but they do exist and, and the opportunity is out there every now and then. I want one. So, yeah, well, I mean, this is, well, I think it sort of, sort of addresses the problems that we talked about. It's 17 levels. It's a lot longer. It's got a lot of the stuff in it that Mark was not able to put in the original. Uh, although I guess the complaint, that leads to the complaint then that, that there's too much going on and the, the play fields are too crowded. There's always something to complain about. I still think I'd rather have a David's Midnight Magic. I can't. I can't let that idea go. For whatever reason, they Atari thought it would be better to to switch it to a joystick version. So some of these oh, crazy, crazy idea. But remember, they tried the the trackball first, and then said, "Oh well, maybe it's maybe the problem is the good part. The problem is that amazing <laughs> controller." Let's. What's the thinking there? Yeah. So some of the prototypes have. Someone's going to put their feet all over it. They said, right. "Oh, that's disgusting. Ooh, well. Let's switch to a joystick." <laughs> Some of the some of the trackball or some of the prototypes have the trackball and some are the joystick version. So, but I, I can't see that being any better. Some have a track stick. Trackball. It's a trackball on a joystick. It's really awkward. It just rolls around. It's, Story Charlie Two had one of those. Anything else? Rob wrote in, wrote in to say. 
great marble madness show, guys. There's something about those Atari System 1 and System 2 cabinets that I simply love. All of them had great graphics. and I feel like I should be doing this in his voice. Mm. All of them had great graphics and great sound. For what it's worth, I think all of those games sound better on a real cabinet than they do in MAME. I've always suspected that the cabinet acts like a big speaker box on those Atari machines. It gives them a deeper, more rich sound in a cabinet than you get on your television or computer. Totally with you on that one, Rob. Obviously, the concept of making System 1 and later System 2 games somewhat interchangeable with one another would have been good in theory for arcade operators as it would have allowed owners to upgrade less popular games with new ones. But obviously, Atari didn't think it through very well. In typical Atari fashion, instead of making their games and parts compatible with all arcade machines, System 1 parts are only compatible with System 1 games. Disregarding prototypes, there are only five System 1 games. Marble Madness, Road Blasters, Peter Packrat, Roadrunner, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. For those keeping score, that's one trackball game, one driving game, one game that requires two action buttons, and two that only require one. That means there are five System 1 games and a total of four System 1 control schemes. <laughs> this is akin to a car company creating a new kind of tire that only works on five models of car, and four of them are going to need an adapter. <laughs> well, the rest of the world agrees to make their cars compatible with JAMA wheels and tires or something like that. We're going to talk about JAMA later today. Uh, fortunately, Atari learned their their lesson with the System 2 hardware. Oh, wait, no, they didn't. They made it worse. There are five System 2 games. Paperboy, which uses handlebars. APB, which has one steering wheel. Championship Sprint, which has two steering wheels. Super Sprint, which has three steering wheels. And 720 Degrees, which is a completely unique spinner-joystick hybrid. And to ensure that their games wouldn't be compatible with anyone else's, all System 2 machines use medium-resolution monitors, which are not compatible with standard-resolution arcade monitors that are loose by and they were lose by used by less than 200 arcade machines oh atari anyway wow. back to marble madness <laughs> i thought your reviews were spot on i never made it through all six levels in the arcade either but i suspect if i owned the machine it wouldn't take too long to master it with additional track packs it certainly seems like it would have been not that difficult to breathe new life into this game and extend its lifespan like you guys mentioned there were some great looking and sounding home ports but even the Sega Master System, C64, NES ports weren't that bad. Unfortunately, this game was designed with a trackball in mind. And if you've ever had ever having a bad day, go play Marble Madness with an NES controller for a few minutes to put your life back in perspective. <laughs> nice email, Rob. At the beginning of the letter, he talked about the sounds and how the games sound better. And, mm -hmm, and they resonate. Arcade. Yeah, then we've talked about this a couple of times, I think. Like, for example, Donkey Kong, the, the original... MAME samples were they were either simulated somebody like composed them or somebody went into an arcade and, and just kind of held a recorder up and recorded the sound and that's what ended up but because the MAME team is so so invested in perfect emulation that they swapped that out with the with the sound from the chips and now it sounds terrible it sounds a little more tinny yeah Rob, Rob wrote us again. Rob writes, and this is a perfect segue into this week's game, which I'll give you a hint. It's going to be the third word in Rob's letter. He writes, the first Robocop cabinet I owned, Robocop number one, was a horrible conversion cabinet. The blue paint makes you think it was a Ms. Pac-Man cabinet, but the orange T-molding only came, I think, on the original Pac-Man and Rally X. Who knows what or how many games this cabinet housed before I owned it. I got this machine as part of a lot purchase, and I think I paid 100 bucks for it or less. Also, that machine didn't come with a marquee, so one day I ran across a black Sharpie and made one. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty low class. <laughs> I ran across my second Robocop machine in a friend's warehouse. It was also a conversion, but slightly more tastefully done. The cabinet had sustained some water damage around the bottom, which I was naive enough to think that I could fix. I think I paid 50 bucks for it. You can tell in this picture, and he attached a picture, which we'll put in the show notes. You, can, you can't tell in this picture, but the cabinet leaned to one side due to the water damage. And each time I moved the thing, it left a trail of wood bits behind it. I sold it to a guy who was restoring a dedicated Robocop cabinet. Some people find it odd that I owned arcade cabinets that I had no particular affection for. I can't say I ever beat the first level of this game and never cared for, cared for it all that much. I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, 
But these were two of the loudest games I owned. In fact, yeah. the first one was yep. what finally forced me to open it up and find the volume knob. The attract mode alone was louder than most of the games I've owned. I've been trying to forget the sound of this game for years now. Please send me some of those quarters you all have been saving <laughs> so that I can afford another round of therapy. Nice emails, Rob. Rob should have his own podcast. He'd be very entertaining. Yeah, somebody should approach him with that idea. Oh, but I don't know, Flack. <laughs> Oh, I see what you did there. So this week's game is RoboCop, is what I'm saying. Is what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm saying. That's what I've now said. Uh, yeah, RoboCop is a side-scrolling platform jumping shooter. What did you call it? You call it something. I, well, no, somebody else wrote in to say it's a fight and go right. Yes, it's a, a fight and go right game. And for whatever reason, that particular genre, that particular class of, of arcade game seems is difficult to disguise and, and differentiate from all the other games that are like that. You know, as I play this, mm. it's basically a fresh coat of paint on, on Russian attack, on, on bad dudes versus Dragon Ninja. You start on the, on the left side of the screen. The action scrolls at you from the right. You can sort of move forward and back within the screen, but you can't return to stuff that you've already passed and is off the screen. People call these a, a run-and-gun game, but in this yep. case, it's definitely a walk-and-gun game. Right. You have typically one or two levels that you can jump up to and jump down on. You shoot things that come at you, and at the end of, of each the, – the level ends by, you know, you beat up a bunch of the henchmen, and you come to a boss fight. And that – in this case, that's Ed 209 from the movie because most of this is based on the 1987 movie. It is not – well, I don't know. It's not a horrible game, but it's not great either. They use digitized sound and graphics from from the game, and I appreciate that they kind of took the time and the effort to make the levels like certain passages and scenes in the game mm -hmm. itself. I thought that was really neat. So it wasn't just you know, like you know, Buck Rogers had what Buck Rogers on the side of the game or something. And that was it. <laughs> and Here, that was this, it. this is so. a much better movie tie-in. It even starts with like a short plot overview at the beginning and then you get into the game. So I did find that they were sprinkling. I mean, as much as like the enemies you're fighting are pretty generic military style bad guys. And there's only a few that are from the movie, but at least there are a few from the movie. Because in here you got your standard thugs, but you've also got chainsaw wielding thugs. And those were in Robocop. Everybody likes a chainsaw wielding thug. Like, and the had 209, like you say. So you've got the end bikers. But I like that it did at least feel like this was a proper movie game. And usually when you say it's a movie tie-in game, you think immediately we go, oh, well, then, then it's awful because that's the only type of movie tie-in game that exists. But I think this is a better than average movie tie-in. I think it's at least feels like it reflects the movie. You, the character is clearly the character from the movie and at least some of the bad guys are from the movie. So I do think this is an appropriate game for a Robocop movie. Yep, I, I agree. And one of the great things about the original movie in 1987 was that it was the satire worked so well, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the the violence was completely over the top. I remember uh, this, of course, this gave me an excuse to watch Robocop again, like as, as if I needed one of those. Every time it's on, I'll just sit and watch it, even if it's, you know, the chopped up version on TNT or something. Yeah. But I, I was watching an, one of the extras because the unrated director's cut has finally been released on, on Blu-ray just just recently, I think for a while that it existed on, on like the Criterion Laserdisc and a couple of other places that you couldn't get anymore. But Paul Verhoeven, I guess <laughs> yeah. I pronounce that. He was how talking, I pronounce it. <laughs> he was talking about how he was fighting the ratings board to avoid the, the X rating. Yeah, and they made him like tone down the violence, which is worse. You want to go bigger, then it's more comical and cartoony. Yeah, he was talking in particular about the scene in the boardroom where Ed 209 malfunctions and shoots that executive. That's and, a good scene. And he's got the two, the 50 cal mounted arm guns, and they just shooting and shooting and shooting bullets into his body. And it falls on the table and it's still shooting it. And he said that that's the the MPAA made him take out a few seconds of that, that violence at the end there, and there were a couple of other things. And he said they, they actually made it worse because by continuing the blood and the violence for as long as it did it kind of goes beyond it goes beyond horrifying back into comical and by taking it out it's just awful absolutely yeah obviously this kind of game doesn't really afford that sort of subtlety in humor and satire but you get peter weller's voice digitized saying your move creep and stuff like that so i never felt like i was just playing this is a side scroll that has a a coat of paint slapped on it but it's a particularly shiny and good coat of paint the game is its own thing. We shouldn't have said compared against the movie. They're, they're different things. And probably would cost you more to get through the game than to just watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy the movie cheaper than I can get through this game in quarters. But I think what the game's missing, though, is that over-the-top comic element. Like, I think people right. don't... For, like, they forget that RoboCop has a, a form of humor in it. It is because, because it's so 
cartoonish and so broad in a sense, it's kind of funny, not like comedy funny, but there's a humor to it. And I think that's missing from the gate, which is much more generic. Go and shoot and go and shoot. I think the game is not as aware that it's a game in the way that the movie is sort of aware of its genre. And so it's sort of more generic that way. And, you know, um, I was about to call it a platformer. Well, you jump, it's definitely not a platform. It's just a standard, you know, fight and go right or walk and gun game. That said, I do think it's, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of that genre. And like you, they all sort of blend together. I look at it and, and they kind of maybe more than anything would blend together because this is using that particular JAMA hardware, the M1 hardware or whatever, that is literally the exact same in all ways as Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja and Heavy Barrel. It's just new ROMs and here's your game. Well, I think the the graphics are good for the time and the sound is good for its time. It's hard for me to differentiate this game that much from something like like Bad Dudes because it's or 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 you had mentioned um, uh, Russian Attack. This is Russian Attack. It's it feels like I'm playing Russian Attack just with a sprite change and a slower moving protagonist. Uh, Walking Attack. Christopher Walken. There would be a great sprite change for this. There is one. There is a um, there's a hack for this. That makes it Inspector Gadget. Yeah, so you, so that that would be... I should have sought that one out. I think that sounds like it would be fun. And it changes the intro, changes some of the stages, the enemy changes, and basically Robocop becomes Inspector Gadget. That would be fun. We should have reviewed that version. And I think we should find that, yes. I was reading about that this morning, actually, as, as we were getting ready for the show, and I thought, man, that would have been fun to play. So I'm gonna, we'll definitely try and, and hunt that down. Maybe even talk about that in a future episode about bootleg hardware or something. I don't know. Oh, that'd be a good one. We should do that show. Robocop in the arcade was released in 1998 or 1988 by Nihon Busan. Okay, so just a year after the movie. So it's coming still while the movie's fresh. That makes sense, at least, because cause a lot of other times they tie them in, and it's like four years later, and it's gone on. So at least they did rush it out. Well, and the license here is sort of interesting, because because the video game IP was actually licensed first by by Ocean. Oh, is that why in the copyright it says Ocean Software and then and then Data East? And I was like, why is it saying them both? Oh, that's why. Okay. Then Ocean licensed it to Data East for for the arcade. Now we we have beaten up on Data East for a lot of, their and we will do so in the future. <laughs> and we will do. So. I tend to find that their arcade. Their arcade offerings are better than the home stuff. I don't hate them as much as Carrington does for their arcade games. I hate them for their home computer stuff. They yes. did the NES cart for this. Well, it's weird because if you play the NES version of this game, the Nintendo Entertainment System for you kids with like full words, <laughs> it's a totally different game. Like it's it's weird that's not totally different because it's still a beat em up, but it was I guess developed by a completely different group, a completely different part of Data East. So it's pretty much a different game although a similar walking gun and as weirdly i find the nintendo cart is actually a deeper game than the arcade version so it, it but they're not ports of each other and there's multiple sequels of, or multiple ports of this game out there and some of them are ports of the arcade game and some of them are parts of the nez cart because they're essentially two different threads of this game developed concurrently by uh date east which is kind of weird I saw that the uh, Commodore 64, the Commodore 64 version was the other one that, that was radically different from, from the arcade game. Because it was bad? I don't know if it was bad or not. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually, just assuming. Well, what, I'm, what, I'm, <laughs> what I've read here is the home version of Robocop, because it was so close to the release of the movie, was on every platform out there. And, and it got pretty much universally high marks. I'm seeing you know, 95% from computer and wow. video games, 92% from Crash, 94% from Sinclair user. Uh, Ace Magazine gave it 800 out of 1,000. Wow. And I remember the arcade version of this game being very, very popular as well when it came out. For me, I, I am suffering, I think, from a little bit of, of nostalgia, and, and Robocop was probably one of my top five movies of all time, and so I want to like this probably more than mm -hmm. I should uh, just because it's tied to that property. But sometimes you play these games – the video game conversion of, of a media property and they just, it's terrible, you know, and so disappointing. And I didn't have that with Robocop then and I didn't have it now. So, but I wonder as well, how much of it is that I'm such a big fan of Robocop. The movie is so good. How much of that colors my approach to this game and makes me like it more? Because I do know intellectually that this is a very standard walk and, and gun game. And this <laughs> is just a slow version of Russian Attack. And what's the big deal? But I, I feel like I like it more than that anyway. And I think it's just because of the nostalgic connection to Robocop. So there are seven levels to the game. Are there? <laughs> well, I'm, well I'm, that's yeah. news to me. I'm reading. I wouldn't know myself. <laughs> Wait, there's levels? <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are levels, yes. And you fight your way up, and Ed 209 is the final boss. 
so you start out and he's also the first boss <laughs> right you start out and Weird. robocop sort of lumbers his way across the screen and you don't start with a you don't start with that you don't even start with a gun <laughs> powerful super powerful gun he's just punching and the, the animation of the punching is so bad but you quickly get bigger and better weapons yeah i i really enjoyed the game so if you go to arcade-history.com they have a whole write-up on it and each level has a bunch of different tricks that you can use to really rack up the points i didn't know oh. or try about any of them and maybe i should have because i did terrible at this game just like I did back then. The arcade version was released in November of 1998. I did it again. The arcade version was released in uh, 1988, and then the, the home version started showing up around uh, 89, 90. It features, as, as you mentioned, Carrington, the, the JAMA M1 hardware, which is the Motorola 68000 at, at 10 megahertz with, a, with an HUC6280 processor at 1.3 megahertz. It has the 6502 at 1.5 megahertz for the sound CPU uh, the YM2203, the YM3812, and the Oki6295 as sound chips. It is a, a two-player alternating with a, an eight-way joystick, one button for shoot and one for jump. And I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say about the game. I mean, it's, you know, it's as far as side-scrolling beat-em-up games, this is, I enjoyed this more than, I don't know if I liked it more than Russian Attack, but more than a lot that I've played. Uh, some are just terrible, and, and I had a good time with it. It was difficult, but not overly so. I didn't feel like that was. I didn't feel like I had no hope. I felt like if if we continued to play this longer, I would have eventually probably been able to finish it. I don't know that it's one that I will actively be playing a lot of in the future on Mame. If it's in an arcade, sure, I'll drop a few quarters in it. But for us, when we're reviewing it, we only get the one quarter play. Mm -hmm. I found like, how far can you ever get in these games? These are designed to kill you. You cannot avoid all the shots. So you will well, die and then you will have to put another quarter in to continue. That, that's the nature of these games. There are good players out there who, who can finish the game, but I am not one of those players. That's one of the things that always bugs me about these games. I'm the sort of player when I play arcade games that I try to avoid getting hit like you just like if something's shooting at you you should not be shot <laughs> getting shot will kill you i've heard so <laughs> in a game like this where you can't avoid getting shot there'll be scenes where well, just no you're going to get hit it's sort of there's something in me bugs me that I always say well i'm playing it wrong because i just got shot even though it's by design you are going to get whittled down so it kind of bugs me i did like though things like the baby food health pickup because that ties into the movie and i wonder like let's say this game exists exactly as it is but there was no movie i think i would like this game more because there's so many cool details and if all of it of all the history of it and the story just came from the game i would probably be raving about it right it's like and it's cool because you're like this guy this is robot and you, and you eat baby food and like but all those things i don't sort of credit to the game because they're from the movie so i, I appreciate that they're there but they don't i think elevate the game at all because it's just well you're using the movie as a crib sheet you mentioned being shot and not dying. And, and the way this works is you have the power bar across the bottom and it sort of works its way back to the left as you get more and more damaged and you can pick up the baby food. At least in this game, it sort of makes sense that the RoboCop can get shot because, you know, in the movie, he, you know, they would open fire on him and eventually the bullets would start the the heavy caliber weapons would start taking their damage. But, you know, like in Russian attack, okay, you, you shoot, the oncoming Russian soldiers, one shot, they go down. It takes 50 shots for you to go down. This seems kind of weird. Right, you're right. But as a robot, it makes more sense that you could maybe get shot and it would just, you know, dent you. As an armored robot, to me, it didn't bother me as much seeing him take shots and, and not just immediately die. It's just these early versions, these sort of a quarter munchers. I guess I what bugs me about them is the same thing that bugs me about modern freemium games. Like the, the RoboCop feels like the kind of game that you would should be able to just walk up and start playing with no quarter, but you get no guns and you walk right. And then eventually they'll say, would you like to buy guns? <laughs> and you put a quarter in, which is like, and then it's just like, or you ha if you don't put a quarter in, you'll have to come back after four hours and you get to play a little more. It's a, I don't like that aspect of this genre. Yeah. Not crazy about that either. Hmm. Overall though, I, I did enjoy the game. Carrington, did you enjoy the cabinet? There isn't one. Well, I mean, there what? there there is. So not it's like it's a data east sort of generic cabinet. But seriously, like ninety nine percent of these or so that mm -hmm. were out in the wild were just conversion kits. That's yep. how most of these got sold. So uh, let's talk about the track the the control panel because that came with the kit. So in the middle of the control panel, as you had mentioned, single eight way joystick on either side of that are two buttons: one for attack, one for fire slash jump. 
so it's an ambidextrous layout. It will not be contributing to the ongoing debate over which hand is better for joystickery. Uh, the marquee is nice looking, but a little generic. It's got the Robocop logo and two screenshots from the movie. And speaking of screenshots, the bezel that comes with it that goes around the monitor is lined with pics from the movie, which is one way to really milk that movie tie-in <laughs> aspect. But I happen to that like the movie. That was a little over the top, I think. <laughs> But I like it, so I'll give it a pass. I'm also aware that if this wasn't a movie I like, then it would turn me off the game. <laughs> so it works and doesn't work, I guess. Uh, but if you're not a fan of RoboCop, why are you going to play the game anyway? I would think that if there were no movie, then I would find myself wondering what those pictures were from. Again, I would think it would be even cooler if that was the case. I don't know. But since I like the game, I like the movie, I'm going to vote thumbs up on the bezel aspect. This is real Carrington speaking, not alternative universe anti-Robocop crazy Carrington, who's wrong about Robocop, but more fun at parties. Anyway, that's all that's essentially official about most cabinets because they were only kits. The Robo cabinets, the Robo cabinets, the Robocop (laughs) cabinets that you saw and enjoyed as a little kid were built upon the corpses of other games that were mutilated in the name of Robo Justice. Rob... I'm just saying, 99% of these these cabinets you've ever seen out there were conversion kits and were at one point owned by Rob O'Hara. Fortunately, it was usually Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja that got converted to this. True, yes. So because it's so easy, these Jamma cabs are all interchangeable. So no, um, no, no loss with the Bad Dudes. Yeah. Now, the, the official, quote-unquote, official cabinet, the one made by Data East, such as such it was, was just the standard Data East cabinet. I mean, the marquee is convex on those cabs, which I kind of like because it juts out at you, so that's cool. But really, it's just a big black cabinet with a bunch of Data East logos on it, including one that wraps around the front from the top of the marquee over, like it's like a sticker that's been put there, which is just a hideous, no-taste place to put it. Yeah, that's uh, Where is the robo-justice in that, I ask you? <laughs> Anyway, if you want to buy one, it's basically the cost of any generic JAMA cab. So you're looking at like uh, 100 to 200 at the low end and 500 to 1,000 for something super fancy. Basically, you're not buying this game. You're buying the cabinet it's in and it can be converted to whatever. So the prices are all over the place because it's kind of got nothing to do with the game that's in it. Would I buy one? No. But I'd buy that for a dollar. One of us had to eventually say that and it's going to be me. They did try to make the game... Try to help you move along in the game. I guess each each level has it does have a timer that counts down, and if it mm-hmm. does get to zero, you will not you die. But I always died before that. Yeah, I always died either well before that or the first couple of levels. You know, you have no trouble getting through before the timer runs down. There is. I had trouble on the second level. Did you? Not not the timer. I had trouble just surviving the second oh, level. Yeah, like with one quarter. Man, that's it. Starts to get hard to get that deep into the game on <laughs> on the one. I kept wanting to just put more. When we review a game like this, I'll want to put more in to see more of the game, but I, I don't let myself at the beginning or I'll spend all my time playing later parts of the game instead of the, the bit I can review on the single quarter. There is a bonus level that shows up every now and then where you are. It's a first person shooter perspective. It's the scene from the movie where he's in the. Oh, it's, yeah. He goes to the shooting range. It's time. You have a certain amount of time to shoot the, the moving targets that come at you and slide back and forth across the screen. And I like that they did something like that to kind of break up just the, the left to right scrolling. Yeah, I didn't actually get to see that. Because <laughs> the first one of those is after the end of the second level. I'm like, uh-huh. if you hit now, I can't finish the second level in a single quarter. Huh. Oh, uh, I'm happy uh, to hear that. Uh, he says dismissively, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> So I saw some videos of it, so I see what comes later, but I always die. It's a stupid van. Like At the second level, the level boss is essentially a van. It's a van of thugs. <laughs> and like you shoot them, and then after you destroy the van, it's like a clown car of bad guys, and they all come out, and there's like a chainsaw thug killed me. That's as far as I ever got. It's whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's right at the end of this level, too. If I could have killed chainsaw thug guy, then I would have gone on to the... The shooting gallery, and at the shooting gallery, you not only get a whole bunch of points, so if you can, every time you progress from one level to another, you get a big bunch of points. So mm-hmm. the, the winner today will be determined by who got farther, presumably you, so your score will be 10 times mm-hmm. by whatever I say holding up the big W. Um, but in the, uh, the shooting gallery, I guess from what I've read, but not experienced yet on my one quarter limit, is... Not only do you get a bunch of points, but it also increases your health capacity, which yes. must be a... So if you do well at that, I, though I suspect from looking at it that I wouldn't because I'd want a gun rather than a joystick. But if you do well at that, then that would be a real key to getting further into the game. There were a number of sequels. Uh, what, what number? <laughs> well, there was Robocop. I want an integer out of you, mister. <laughs> Robocop 2 and 3. Electric Boogaloo. Which were both based on, on the games uh, or on the movies, Robocop 2 and 3, and were equally as bad as the movies. 
There was uh, Robocop 3D for the Amiga, the Atari ST, and the IBM PC uh, using the uh, digital image design 3D engine. I don't know Ooh. what that means because I, I never saw it mean, that. It means fancy is what that means. And finally, there was Robocop versus the Terminator. Oh. I've never even seen that one. <laughs> Superhero mashup. Um, and that was sort of the end of the, the original line. In 2003, there was a new version of Robocop. It was the the sixth generation home console huh. game. I wonder why they would put one out in 2003. I don't know. And no no one else does either because it received a universally negative reviews. Uh, GameSpot gave it a 2.2 out of 10. Xbox Magazine UK gave it a 5.9, which seems to be the highest. Uh, Gamer Feed gave it 2 out of 5. Xbox so magazine game to etc etc there was a game boy advanced version of this it was uh, an update of the 88 arcade game but was never released and you with the movie that came out earlier this year that had nothing really to do with the first movie but there are android and iphone robocop games based on that movie but the thing is those are like i was talking about before which i guess matches the theme here they're f- those freemium games they're free to download but then you pay a bunch of money to complete right. them and therefore they can bite me not a fan of those. And there's also a Flash-based version of the, the original arcade game on Game... You have to wear a Flash costume? <laughs> you do, yes. Cool. And that's at game-oldies.com. You can play it online for free. I'll link to the iOS and the Android games, too, if you want to throw your money to them. And so that you don't have to throw your money to them, I'll link to Touch Arcade, which is such a good site. And they have a RoboCop guide, how to win without spending real money. So that, that would be a good guide, because like stick it to the freemium people. I like the default high scores in this game are the movie characters like so the first one is murphy is fifty thousand, and lewis is forty eight thousand, and 209 is forty seven thousand. so that's cool well the first three are and the rest of them i think are just random names oh okay i just wrote down those three and i just i probably didn't even look at the rest well that must be all from the movie there you go it's been a while since i've seen the film i do have a a robocop moment of my own Um, oh you had a robo moment sort of yes i lived in for a long time in, in long beach california and I lived in within walking distance of the Queen Mary. For a while, Howard Hughes's Spruce Goose airplane was docked right across the parking lot from the Queen oh. Mary. And so I was bored one day, I walked over there, and, and this was like middle of the week. And, and it's me and a friend of mine, we were in the Spruce Goose. And I hear this, uh, excuse me. And I, I turn around and it's this guy and, and he hands me his camera and he says, could you take a picture of me and my girlfriend? And I'm looking at him. I'm like, he looks, who's I know this face. I know this face. And it, it turned out to be Miguel Ferrer, the guy who played. Oh, cool! Who played uh, Bob Morton in in the film? And of course, he's played. He's gone on to play you know, many, many excellent. But roles, mostly, but mostly villains. He's got that look. He was standing there, and I'm taking the picture, and, and he can. I think he can sort of see me doing the mental math and trying to figure out who he is. And he's kind he of knows sick. he's one of those that guy guys. Well, he did. Yeah, he kind of just like smiled at me. He goes, "Yep," and <laughs> walked away. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, this was this would have been probably like ninety one or ninety two I think when this happened so you know before the internet as we know it and and before I don't even know if it was on videotape at that point so it kind of took me a while he'd only done a few movies but yeah it was kind of cool it was, seemed like a nice guy the few times that I've met those that guy and that girl people where they're famous but I'm not sure why I know them yeah my default is usually to say don't. You owe me money. <laughs> and that's that's the way I will break that ice. <laughs> like I, that's, I, owe, I know you because you owe me something. Prove that you don't owe me money. <laughs> uh, so how'd you do, Carrington? Uh, poorly. I did very poorly. Yes. So, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll tell you this. I, I, Murphy is still the high score on my cabinet because he's 50,000. So like, you get close there. I think if you can finish the second level and you beat the clown van of thugs, <laughs> then that's around the 50,000 point because my best game is only 42,000 oh sorry 47,200 so not that good shut up (laughs) and again like i said it was end of the second level chainsaw full of thugs and i think if i could have just killed like those last two guys you get a big bonus then you'd go into the shooting gallery that you can't die at and you'd immediately like emerge the other end probably with a hundred thousand i'm gonna say a hundred thousand but the truth is 47,200 i don't think there's any reason for us to discuss your score shut up i can hear you i can hear you grinning from here shut up (laughs) no we're going to discuss it because you mentioned making up a hundred thousand points and i would have even beaten that so (laughs) so what do you get i got 103,320 points that's a lot of points. Yeah, it's it's more than your little forty thousand whatever points. Shut up. I think you get like forty thousand just for walking across the screen and punching a guy. That's what starts. <laughs> yeah, but he out. walks slowly, so it takes a while. <laughs> My best score, unfortunately, was not enough to to even come close to the Champau 
score that's listed as, as the world record, it's weirdly, it's 280,000 even. Well, but all the scores on this are pretty even scores, yeah, so. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, that was scored by uh, Russ Crook, K-R-O-O-K, the third. For, he comes from a long line of RoboCop players. <laughs> so would you, would you want to own this game? No. So, since you're so good at it? I don't think there's any uh, need to go out and, like you said, because it's mostly a conversion kit for really, really boring standard hardware, and because it plays easily and well on main, there's there's no reason to go get this. I can see if somebody is into this game and into a bunch of games like this, having a JAMA cabinet, you'd get all the advantages of a real cab, you'd get advantages of the like the resonant sound that we were talking about earlier, and a real controller and stand-up. So... Well, this is works perfectly fine in MAME. I I can see it being, you know, you have a JAMA cab, and this would be one of the PCBs or one of the ROM kits that you would throw into play. But then I would want to have more than one. Like, you'd have a JAMA cab, so it's essentially acting as a 16-1 just with 60 boards. I think I would go that way. I just don't... I don't think there's any run-and-gun, any beat-em-up game, any fight-and-go-right game at all that I would ever say would make my top list. If I only had 10 cabinets, I'd want one of those. The genre just doesn't appeal to me enough. I think you're absolutely right on that. I wouldn't, I can't see trying to hunt this down just to play the game. You know, you start this game with just, just fists. It's kind of too bad you don't start as human Murphy and you should play just as a human cop. And the first time you die, then you come back as an upgraded Robocop and you want to see like, how far can you get into it and still keep your humanity? That would be super fun. Like it should have been gone that way. I would have liked this game a lot more if it did that. It sounds like you, you have a great idea for a game you should write, Carrington. I'm going to get right on that. Get the <laughs> right. on the phone. So maybe you'll do better next week. I will almost certainly have to. <laughs> What's it sound like? Sounds like this. I think that uh, about wraps it up. Wraps it up with a pretty little bow. <laughs> I'm going to head back over to Ifpa. Pinball. Play me some pinball. I'm going to cheat on you, Carrington. Do it. uh, uh, We'll be back next week. Sure we will. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.